When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and I'm pleased to announce I'm back to doing my podcast again by releasing my live shows I do on the new Locker Room app. So if you have an iPhone or iPad, download Locker Room, follow me at B-Ball Breakdown, and you can call into the show and discuss anything NBA you like. My show is every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and every Sunday at 9 a.m. Pacific. Hope to see you there, and in the meantime, enjoy the great conversation. We got somebody who wants to come on the stage. Let's make it happen right away with Nasir Edwards. Nasir, how you doing, my man? You, what's up, bro? Oh, not much, but I also remember I got to plug in my headphones. Otherwise, we hear you uh, through the speakers of the mic. But what do you want to chop it up about? Uh, all right, well, I see you are asking, are the Sixers for real? I'm from Philly, and I got some shit to say. All right. <laughs> Straight like that. Lay down. All right, well, first things first. Um... I'm a firm believer in Ben Simmons, right, and his talent and what he brings to the table outside of his jump shot that he refuses to take. However, until we get an actual scoring guard, oh, what? So basically, what I'm not a firm believer in is Tobias Harris. Um, oh, yeah, Tobias Harris is a great player in his own right. Don't get me wrong; like he, he's been productive. Pretty much ever since he got traded from the uh, the Pistons a few years ago, he's been like playing very great basketball. However, I don't think it's good enough for the team that we have currently constructed. I think we need a scoring guard until we can get a situation where Ben Simmons is not the primary ball handler and playmaker. As long as that's the case, I don't think the Sixers will be able to reach where they're trying to go, which is uh, holding up the trophy at the end of the season. I hear you. You know, there's so much to unpack there. And I, I have a no less than, I don't know, 14 minute video to release it as soon as I'm done with the show. Uh, yeah. That's going to be, I mean, listen, it starts with all the good stuff, but I slowly start to light them on fire as we go further and further. And a lot of the things you said are part of it. So, you know, I'm going to try something because I've been noticing a lot of other locker room shows will bring more than one person in and kind of gets, you know, unruly, but fun. So we got another speaker. Tony wants to come in here. So let's, let's bring him in. Tony, are you there? Yeah, I'm there, yeah. Can you hear me? Oh, I can. You sound great. So, you know, let, let's mix this up. I mean, what did you think about what Nasir said? I think I think it's actually completely correct. I well, I don't have as much faith in Ben Simmons as other people do because I don't even think he's that special a basketball player in the comes to playoff time because I don't think you can really exist. Ben Simmons and B can really exist together. I know that's a really cliche thing to say, but, I mean, it's, it is true. But I do agree with the, with the Tobias Harris thing. Well, I think well, he, yeah. I think he, when he's playing, he feels that he's at times he feels as if he's the best player. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like he doesn't really know his role like one hundred percent. I know he's learning it, but I mean, if if, if you're playing the the Nets in the playoff season and this, and uh, Tobias Harris takes four straight possessions trying to iso and shoot a mid ranger, I don't think that's a good thing. 
Well, I, you know, it's interesting. I think as a third option, he's perfect, right? He's a, he could score 20 a game. Yeah. Uh, but here's the weird thing about the, the Sixers overall, because I, I don't even know where to begin. But let's, let's start with the offense itself. Um, now, well, geez, I want to talk about Simmons. There's so much to talk about. But with, with Simmons, I'm sorry, with the offense itself, the guy they rely on the most for pick and rolls is Shake Milton. He gets the most pick and rolls. He is not a starter. The second guy who they really use is Tobias Harris. Now, both of these guys are not going to set players up with passes for easy shots out of the pick and roll. Again, the most common action that you'll find in the NBA. So you have their two main guys that run pick and roll as a ball handler, not setting up guys for threes, not getting really to the rim a lot. Tobias does get to the rim some, but mostly it's that mid-range shot, as is Shake Milton. So it's like it's a very strange constructed offense where you have those two guys. Now, listen, I'm where, where the elephant in the room obviously is Joel Embiid, the MVP, or whoever you want to where you want to put him on that list, uh, who is just dominating from all over the place. But if if their main thrust of the attack on the perimeter is that, then it, that gives me some really cause for concern as well. Big facts. I want to offense to watch in my opinion. Now, interesting, because I've gone through, like, hundreds of clips, and I kind of, you know, uh, focus, you know, on offensive possessions. But I don't watch, like, maybe the whole game and get the flow. So when you guys are doing that as as sort of as intent fans, do you really feel like it's ugly and it's kind of not it's not as exciting and fun? Well, I've always thought about the Sixers, personally. I feel like it's it can be fun. I mean, watching Ben Simmons in a fast break, right, and transition – is is great. That's part of the reason why he's become the star to a certain extent that he's become. But in reality, there's no with Ben Simmons not being able to not even not well, I mean technically not being able to shoot. Clearly he can make shots like we've seen him do it, but it's a matter of like the willingness to take them when we need them. He doesn't want to do it. And that inhibits everything. And because we don't have another guy who is a legitimate playmaker on the court with him, it creates kind of this weird situation where you see, like what Tony said, you have Tobias trying to ISO and trying to be the main guy. When and this and, and Tony, I don't even think it's a matter of he doesn't know his role. I think that's what his role is, and that's the issue. Like his role is to be the perimeter scorer for the Sixers. Yeah. Unfortunately, you're, he's not good enough. Unfortunately, your your elite player, your elite playmaker, and and you know elite star isn't doing what he's supposed to do, in my opinion. Well, let's get into the assists because he's got eight assists a game, and so I started to dig into those because I'm curious. Okay, how is this functioning in the in the half court? Because obviously. The main thrust is he'll push the ball, especially with the starters. The starters are killing everybody. Their, their net rating is like plus 16, third in the league, uh, minimum 200 minutes played. So that's working well. And you'll see him push the ball, kick it out to everybody, every other, all the other four players in the starting lineup all get threes on when he pushes the ball. Tobias gets the most. And then I think it's like Seth Curry. Uh, and then it's, um, you know, Embiid gets some. So he gets a lot there, which is good. And that's a lot of what his doing of him pushing the ball. But when you look in the half court, I thought this was fascinating. There seems to be an inordinate amount of assists that he gets off of offensive rebounds. It's mm-hmm. weird. Like, and so, and it, well, the reason why I frame it that way is because obviously you get the offensive rebound, you kick it out, you get an assist. That's great. But it's not because he was doing anything in the offense to like create that. That was sort of a, the defense is completely scrambled. They're all out of position and he can find the pass, you know, like everybody would do and, and hit it. The other thing that's interesting. 
He also has gotten the number of assists this year, and maybe it's just a weird thing in the beginning of the year, uh, when he makes a pass and the guy will do a multi-dribble move and hit the toughest shot imaginable. Now, it is an assist by the rules and by the, you know, the way they score these things. Sometimes but, not. Sometimes, oh, sometimes. they take dribbles and they just still count to like, okay. Well, there isn't really a, a dribble limit, believe it or not. Like, I've kind of looked into this. It's kind of subjective. But either way, it's like, so So there's a little bit of inflation with the half-court data uh, as far as assists goes. Because, you know, and, and as a result, it's like, yeah, what is he really good for in the half-court? Because like you said, like Nasir was saying, he can't shoot. He won't shoot. I don't want him to shoot. <laughs> so it's a really troubling thing. And, um, but I, I'm fascinated by this notion that like it kind of weight, it weighs on the, on the on people watching it just like from a enjoyment standpoint. I think, um, with Ben, all right, now we've seen over the course of like the league and whenever a guy like 6'10, 6'11 and doesn't shoot, but he's athletic, he becomes a rim runner. And they generally do not play Ben Simmons like that. And in situations where they do, like you said, Tobias Harris and Shake Milton are the primary pick and roll guys. That's not good enough. Right. I think it's- Ben Simmons, with what you said about him being able to get assists off, off offensive rebounds, I'm looking at Ben Simmons as a rim runner to be kind of one of the more dynamic rim runners we've ever seen because he can go up and dunk on you. But that outside of that, when guys are closing in on him to prevent him from getting to the rim, he know he can make those split second decisions that no other guy really can make in the league. So the combination of the two will allow for a lot more exciting basketball and a lot more um, respectable basketball when we talk about playoff time and actually being teams that are legitimate. Well, I always have a question about like players like that. Like if I knew I was six ten, six eleven, I could get to the rim. I would develop like a float game or just just different types of finishes and stuff. But I do really get frustrated when I see players like Westbrook, Giannis, Bledsoe, even Ben Simmons, not as bad as, as them. Just think, okay, if I can run and smack, smack a dunk over the defender's head, then I can't score. It's like, I'm not saying you should be shooting stuff back to you, but just to hit a little hook or a baby hook or a post up or something, you know. Oh, if Ben Simmons, his post game definitely needs to improve, but he does have a few array of different type of shots he takes at the rim when he gets there. Oh, well, let's get into that. Because, look, by the way, I have a montage in this video coming out today that you might have to be sitting down for if you're a Sixers fan because, and maybe right. Papa Gummy because it's rough. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. I, I liked Ben Simmons a lot and did a couple of videos early in his career get, getting really excited about the possibilities, primarily because I figured at 19 and 20 or 21, whatever, in the beginning, he would improve. He yeah. has not improved at all at the rim, and he gets so twisted trying to shoot right-handed shots when he's a lefty or whatever he is uh, that it's some of these misses are like, man, this isn't an NBA player. Now, some of the makes are good. He can he can finish, and he and is impressive, but it's like that Russell Westbrook thing where I had done years ago where it was like, okay, he can dunk over people, but most – Completely, uh, the, the footwork isn't there. The balance isn't there. It's awkward. Uh, now, by the way, the same issues on drives are also there for the post-ups. He will lower his shoulder. He will do a drop-step hook with the right hand, which looks awkward, but he can kind of make that one. Or he'll do the running hook shot across the lane, righty, which, you know, who knows where that ball is going most of the time. It's kind of crazy. So that's another thing. It's like, okay, in the half court, his real uh, asset right now is throwing it down and low in the post, and then kicking it out for threes. That's really great, and that would be exciting, right? 
except for the fact that they've got this other guy. Uh, what's his name? Um, yeah, Joel Embiid, who has to post up. So how are you going to have like two guys whose main weapon now is in the post up? It's the post up, you know, down low. They actually ran. I have this a couple of possessions, three out, two in, which is what we used to see like in 90s high school basketball with like right. two guys stationed on the clock. They throw it to Embiid. He doesn't get a shot. They swing it around. They throw it to, uh, to, um, Simmons on the other block. And then he tries to go to work. It's insane. I've never seen it. By the way, that might even be good for all I know at this point. I, I don't even know, but I, it's the weirdest thing to have seen in an NBA game in, in 2021. Now, Benedict, you came in here. Uh, let's hear from you. I know you want to chop it up about the Sixers. Hey, Coach. Uh, greetings from Germany. Ah, uh, love your show. Thank you. Um, Danke, Shane. Can you hear me? Yes, you sound you sound better than me, maybe. <laughs> uh oh, now I don't hear anybody. Is are we all still here? I'm, can I'm you definitely here. Uh oh. Yeah, now um, you're back, Benedict. So um, go ahead, so, Benedict. So, I'm sorry. Um, you just wanted to get my thoughts on, on the title changes or Eastern Conference finals changes of, changes of the Sixers. Uh, sorry for my accent <laughs> from Germany. No and I think what it will come down to in the playoffs when you get deeper in the, into the playoffs is, um, Embiid's passing off the post because we've seen him struggle with that last year against the Celtics. Uh, and especially against teams uh, who are good at, good at rotating and with the limited spacing that they have with uh, Simmons on the court. I think it's essential uh, because right now I think this passing off the post separates him or guys like uh, Jokic right now who can take defense, defenses apart because you can't double him. That separates him from guys like Embiid who's still limited, I think. I uh Seen some progress, progression maybe, but against better teams uh, in the playoffs like the Celtics or, I don't know, uh, the Raptors, I don't know, uh, better defenses uh, still have my uh, worries about this. That, that makes sense. And, you know, they, they try to take care of that by adding Danny Green and uh, Seth Curry, who, by the way, was like shooting the lights out uh, this year. Uh, I haven't seen numbers like this when I charted uh, NBA uh, three-point shooting before. But um, but you're right. With As long as Ben Simmons is out there, he's the guy they can double off of. Um, and I, I've seen a little bit of progression, but I, I also seen the other struggle when the double team comes. Well, I think what, what Embiid's decided to do is to say, F it, I'm going to just split the double team and score, <laughs> right, and not even worry about passing. Right, they should. With his dominance, I mean, size-wise. By the way, have you noticed? Have you seen how many minutes he's playing? He's playing like twenty-nine minutes a game and scoring twenty-nine points, something crazy like that. I gotta let me look it up real quick, but it's it's like a point a minute almost. Oh, I didn't I didn't know he was doing the Giannis stuff because Giannis has had these past two MVP seasons. Like minutes-wise, have been like, wow, you're doing all of that in those amount of minutes. Yeah, he's playing thirty-two a game and scoring twenty-nine points. So yeah, imagine if he's playing like a thirty-six-minute normal game. Uh, but I don't think he'd hold up. I think Embiid would break down if he played more. They probably should play him less. The way if they can keep getting wins out of this, honestly. Um, but we got some new people on the show. This is exciting because normally I do like one person at a time, like a radio thing, whatever. But uh, l- let's let's chop it up. Let's uh, hear from some of the new people what they want to talk about with the Sixers. Yeah, um, I'm here from Maryland. I'm a big fan, Coach Nick. Uh, uh, I think the Sixers, I said in the chat, I think they peaked with Jimmy Butler. Um, I think that was their year to win it all. Um, but, of course, that you, you, that, some something just didn't work out, and I think they were too didn't try enough to try to get Jimmy Butler back. They didn't think he was the team leader, and then of course everyone knows he led the Heat like uh, 
on his back to the finals last year. And people were saying he wasn't a good leader, but he's a great leader on the Heat. Oh, I agree. And people want to talk about maybe it's because of the culture, the heat, or maybe the specific players who can handle that. Because let's face it, Butler can be an asshole, right? He can really get on his teammates uh, in that old school way. And not everybody responds that way, which is kind of up to Jimmy, I feel like, to read the room. But you're right. I think Jimmy certainly proved that he could perform at, in the, in the freaking NBA finals. I, I was shocked that what he was so good. Uh, and you probably, you might be right. That might have been uh, a really great time, but that was also uh, under previous coaching, which that, I also had my it was, it was under bad coaching, was under all that. But I think, um, I think Simmons and Embiid, uh, I don't know. I don't, this wasn't reported. I don't know if they were the biggest fans of Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they probably thought he pushed them too hard, but. Um, yes, that could be on Butler, but it also could be on Ben Simmons and Embiid, maybe with him wanting to go the extra mile. Because I think if they kept um, Embiid, the East would be a wrap. I think if they kept Butler, the East would be just a wrap these years. Can I can I jump in here just for some clarity? Um, first, Jimmy, the reason why Jimmy Butler left, he actually went on uh, J.J. Reddick's podcast and kind of told the world. It just got ignored because it was J.J. Reddick's podcast. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but all right, basically, that's some shade. What he, what he said was, no, it's not shade at all. I love his podcast, but right. it's not as popping as those other ones like the Matt Barnes and the Knuckleheads. But anyway, right. um, he basically said that he heard some rumblings in management of having asking Brett Brown, can you control him? That was the the key words for him that made him say, "Okay, I'm not coming back to Philly," because that is the last thing Jimmy Butler wants to hear come out of anybody's mouth as a grown man is, "Can you control me?" There is no one who can control me. So that's the reason why Jimmy left. It wasn't because of Ben and uh Joel uh, and Joel and B. Joel and B was caught last year before the pandemic, sending out tweets and stuff like. Or, matter of fact, during the bubble, actually, sending out tweets a while, bro, what could have been? Or, like, you know, that type of stuff. Like, oh, I wish you were still here. That type of that type of vibe stuff. But, yeah, it wasn't a player thing. It was a management thing. That's the reason why Jimmy got out All right. of Philly. All right. All right. That's good. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. So, so, you know, and, but the point will still stand that yes, that might have been their best chance because of the way they had, uh, scoring firepower in the backcourt like that. Um, but by the way, you know, Seth Curry, who knew? You know, you take him out of Dallas and all of a sudden their offense kind of, you know, has a real problem because they don't have that kind of shooting. And, you know, I think that's, he, people get, people sleep on him. He can actually create a little bit on the dribble. He actually is a, not like his brother, but certainly he's got a little bit more of a gravity there than just like a Steve Kerr-esque, you know, catch and shoot kind of guy like he would have been in other years past in other generations. So, um, you know, he certainly is doing something to unlock that, the, the offense more. But I, I think that we're all, are we all in the same mind that what we're we're looking for for the Sixers is basically, you know, NBA finals or bust. Absolutely. I mean, with how Joel and B is playing with how, I mean, just how, how they're constructed. They have two stars and they're a winning team. They just need that third guy. Well, yeah. technically they have three stars technically, but they need a third guy that fits better. Who's, who's, who's the third guy? Tobias. Well, Tobias. Tobias ben oh yeah. I mean like Joel technically. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, oh, listen, no, I like Tobias as a third guy, but not when you have Simmons as the second because, yeah, again, the Simmons sag is real. 
But yeah. uh, hey, we we have some other people in here who haven't gotten a chance to speak. I want to make sure I give them a chance. Uh, Ryan or Falaran want to come in here and uh, get the, offer their piece. Um, what's up, guys? I Ryan. love the content. But um, what do you guys think about using Simmons as like a Draymond type role, like as a screen setter, and then using him off the short roll because he's a great passer, similar to Draymond. Use him as a short roll passer, find the open guy instead of being more of a post-up guy like in this three two you guys are talking about yeah love it i you know here's my thing i think that they should do someone maybe it was you somebody on twitter had come up with that idea too and i was like yeah that would be really interesting because again he can handle the ball and he could collapse the defense and kick Uh, i also want to see them do more handoffs for him into the middle so that he can then get downhill and then you know either get that dunk or they follow him or whatever although that's a whole other thing we haven't mentioned free throws or he can then he can kick it well anything to get him attacking on the catch into the middle uh they've basically ran like two handoffs to him all year and uh it's mind-boggling because i you know doc's offense used to have a lot of handoffs but uh they're not really getting them in this offense and i think someone was trying to explain maybe they've been following even more closely with the sixers that they really just haven't had even any uh any practice time to put the offense in i by the way i haven't really seen much offense it looks it looks pretty much like uh you know drawing sticks in the sand and then kind of figuring it out that each night Anybody out there? No? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm definitely here. Um, I just want to say that the only thing about the using Ben Simmons in the Draymond role, because that's perfect, is Draymond's role works because of who he plays around. Right? So uh, yeah, having having a Steph Curry and a Klay Thompson allows him to do a little bit more than – I mean, don't get me wrong. Seth has been playing – like you said, Seth's been playing out of his mind. Danny Green can shoot as well. But – I feel like it's just a little bit different. And then on top of that, the other thing is Draymond is also willing to take those shots, which adds to what they do. Like Draymond will take a three. You know, he probably mm-hmm. won't make it. He'll actually shoot. <laughs> so that's still like, that's really the main thing more than anything. Ben Simmons has had to just start letting stuff go on top wow. of adding, you know, they need, they still need to add a better fit, but when you get down to it, like you said, Ben Simmons hasn't improved since his rookie year. That's a problem. Yeah. I just checked Draymond's three-point percentage, by the way. I don't know if anyone has. Uh, he's actually down to two a game attempts, which is good because he's at one, 19.5%. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, this is this right? Draymond's averaging five points a game. That's amazing sounds, in 28 sounds minutes. Sounds about right. That's What's amazing. You know. Wow. He's getting an award for that. Yeah, but I, but by the way, I guess that, that really is what you the, to your point. Without Clay out there, without Durant, like it doesn't open up stuff for him at all. He has to actually make shots that are much more difficult. Uh, but hey, they're they're hanging in there. The Warriors are, but uh, I don't I don't want to completely hijack the Sixers stock because um, it's, it's an interesting thing. So you know the the rankings when you look at their offensive rating, defensive rating, and that those kind of things, they're not that much different than last year. So how is it possible that they're number one in the East and they're winning 70-some percent of their games? And, you know, that's why my take on is they're going to end up falling back towards sort of where they were last year. I don't think they're going to be sixth place in the Eastern Conference, but I feel like they're going to fall back to like 60% wins, you know, winning percentage. Um, and sort of, you know, when you look at their schedule, you know, they really only have one quality win. I mean, they beat the Celtics, I think, twice, but that was without Jason Tatum, which, you know, is basically, you know, completely shorthanded for the Celtics. So that's the other interesting thing. I think they really benefited from a schedule uh, that the Lakers game was the only one they won, which is a thriller and exciting. 
Uh, but uh, that's the only really quality win they have. Yeah, I, I was. Um, oh, hey, hey, how, how's everyone doing? This um, Central Florida. Hope everybody. Right. But um, that was a question I wanted to bring up. Where in the Sixers, they're having a lot of wins this season. By no stretch of my take that away from them. But like Coach Nick said, with the schedule being what it is, is it? I mean, we can evaluate them, but seeing how our expectations are what they are, should we be kind of apprehensive about seeing, saying the team is what it is right now because they haven't had too many matchups with teams that we predict to be good or going deep into the playoffs? Okay, wait, so, so what's the question? I was wondering, should we just hold off necessarily with the evaluations or critic- uh, criticisms, mm-hmm. but like assessing the Sixers as they are, because yeah. I'm looking at them as averaging 12 points. I don't think that's something that's going to continue. I'm hoping that it will increase over time, seeing how he'll probably get more aggressive throughout the year. But they haven't played enough teams for me, like enough of the Nets or the Lakers or Denver or stuff like that for me to say, okay, they're definitely uh, a title contending type of team because Joel – He's having, a, having an MVP season, but I just don't see the Sixers going deep into the playoffs. I think they could be had in any playoff series necessarily right now. Right. Well, I think the two things they have to do is because obviously Embiid could carry a team in the playoffs in a series, in, in any given series, but not when uh, it's a much, it's a really good team, like in the second round or the fi- conference finals where they can double and rotate. Uh, and like we said earlier, like he doesn't necessarily pass out of the double teams that well. And, he, and if he's trying to try and force shots against double teams against the good teams, that might not go so well either. Uh, and then what have you? Then you have Tobias, ISO, right? Then you have like, you know, Seth Curry trying to create off the dribble or, you know, trying to spring face the floor uh you're right it's a it's a flawed roster i think that's the issue maybe but i love the fact that we want to be you know you know slow the roll a little bit here and not just light him on fire because of early season you know uh stretch now you mentioned denver they did play denver and they got hammered by him um so that's that was one interesting thing i kept i caught my eye on looking through this whole schedule but uh but listen they're good they are good they've got an mvp candidate they've got a conundrum in simmons um, but, um, you know, they, they have, they have something, but again, the, in the context of Boston and Brooklyn, uh, who else am I missing in the East? Uh, that's good. Um, Boston, Brooklyn, Miami, Raptors have dropped well. uh, Milwaukee. <laughs> we could, by the way, we could just replace these names and talk about Milwaukee if you want. Right. Yeah. Uh, just talking about these teams, the Sixers are like a very good matchup for all of these teams. The Nets have DeAndre Jordan at center, and Embiid's going to kill him. Um, he's going to eat him alive. The Celtics have Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson. Oh, that's going to yeah. eat them alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we're talking about them as a contender, it's just matchup-based. Like, I would take the Sixers, as good as the Nets are offensively, I would take the Sixers over them in a playoff series. I would take them over the Celtics in a playoff series. I would, too. I would take them over the Bucks in the playoff series. You're going to make Chris Middleton beat you all up against Giannis. We've seen it happen before. It could happen again. That's Who's going to guard? Oh, so they're going to have – so Simmons guarding Giannis, which is, I think is a good matchup for the Sixers, right? Yeah. 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 And then just wall. By the way, I like when Simmons guards, like, LeBron. Like, LeBron doesn't always want to really attack him. I, yeah, I, Sim- right? Simmons is very good at guarding LeBron. You know, now LeBron's had success. Like they, he he scored a lot of points, but um, it just definitely. I, I think I noticed that in my mind's eye that like, oh, like he's like going to pull up and shoot a three instead of like look to attack Simmons, which I which I like. I think that's a key. 
Um, so yeah, I, you know what? Now you're getting me a little excited when we talk about the matchups because you're right. There's some flawed teams out there as well, like the Bucks. Uh, what, well, you know, no one. I don't. The Nets, I think, would probably be able to handle the Sixers, don't you? Uh, no, no. Defense. Matters. That's that's ridiculous. That nah. no, the Nets can handle the Sixers. The Nets can handle any team in the league. Right. That's not. That's what, what I'm thinking. Mean. Are we? Is there question? Or do we still like? Are there, I think there's questions about their defense, though. I, okay. I, all right. Can I can I jump yeah, in? Yeah. So, yeah. Has there ever been a team? Matter of fact, Nick, because you're the coach and you have the history kind of in your memory banks. Has there any been? Has there ever been a team with this level of offensive play from their three main stars ever since? I ever? feel like the Warriors, maybe just the 2018 Warriors, but that's about it. Yeah, we're talking about the Nets right now. Yes. No, I mean, I, I can't think. I mean, you know, maybe the Heat, um, but because the Heat played uh, such a different way, like Bosch basically became, you know, he, he didn't get to do anything he would normally be great at. Um, right. And so it was, it was different. Here, we get to see the best of Harden. We get the best of KD. We get the best of Kyrie and everything they want to do. It's amazing because the, the game is faster. It's spaced out better. They get a lot more opportunities. Uh, and it's not LeBron on the team. So, um so, no, I, this is definitely, I think, the, the most high-powered. Now, I thought what you were going to get to was, have we ever seen a team like this with such a terrible defense ever, you know, make it, you know, deep in the playoffs? And the answer has to be no as well, right? I, that is absolutely true, but that's why I started with the point of we've never seen an offense quite like this. Because, all right, to your point with the Heat, because that's the team you pointed out, Chris Bosh was never able to be a perimeter basketball player. He could catch and shoot a little bit. He can pick and pop a little bit. Solid mid-range game. But he's not Kevin Durant in any way, shape, or form. When right. you mentioned the Warriors, Clay Thompson, an elite, elite, elite 3 and D guy. The best one ever, in my opinion. However, Clay Thompson can't create a shot like James Harden can. So with that being said, this next team is so advanced offensively that I'm not as worried about the defensive discrepancies that we have. Like, yes, we haven't seen a team with this bad of a defense make it far in the playoffs. But also, we've never seen a team this good at (laughs) offense. Yeah. I'm excited, man. I mean, because I love it when we can just dispel all the myths and get, you know, get, you know, someone can prove, disprove what everyone else is saying. So if there was a team that would do it, yes. And by the way, I still feel like the Nets have better defense in them. Uh, they just need to figure out how to coach it better and how to get on the same page better. And they can, you know, utilize what they do have out there, which is a little bit of a, you know, obviously KD is a, can be a great defender. TLC could be a good defender. I even think, wait, um, no, they got rid of Torian Prince, right? Yeah, never mind. Um, who else is on that team that they can, they can play? I mean, DeAndre Jordan, you know, is a shell of himself, but can, can you know, play a little defense maybe in the playoffs. So, but you're right. It's going to be a real conundrum uh, with whether or not they can they can actually get deep. But uh, I would imagine, yeah, those team those games are going to be one one thirty one twenty, you know, minimum in those in the playoff series. Um, can I jump in real fast? I yeah. just want to say, no team has ever made the finals without a top ten defensive rating, and right. the Nets have the third worst in the league. And yes. no team has ever come back from a three-one deficit it, in the finals. Like there's, there's, there, the whole thing for records is they're meant to be broken, bro. It can happen for it sure. It, it was, okay, it was one. It was one way. It's still incredibly unlikely. It I mean, 
I want to say like no team's ever had a new coach and won a title that year, but that's we've had a team uh, coach take over in the middle of the year uh, and win a title. So, yeah, and recently. So there's a lot of that stuff too. Now is Doc up for it? It was an interesting question. Oh, that is a great question. You know, was Doc, you know, Doc had a lot of help, right? Uh, You know, in his past, there's been littered, you know, teams that have underperformed, not been coached well, uh, and you want to scratch your head. Uh, I mean, in, you know, the Orlando stuff. Uh, and then, you know, obviously in Boston, I don't know how long he was for that job before they got Ray Allen and KG. So, um, you know, and they win a title and they get to the finals again. But uh, it's interesting, you know, that the, the Clippers are would be an interesting case study for those what was it, five or six years where they couldn't quite put it all together. Uh, and I wonder if it's if it's Doc has any culpability. Maybe, maybe that's the video. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think a lot of last year, is kind of done to a certain extent has take some blame of what, how the Clippers perform in a bubble. But I mean, really, I think outside of the Celtic situation, I think the primary issue has been a chemistry thing, which I don't know how much the coach plays a role into how well these guys glue on the court. But when you have guys like in the bubble where, or with the bubble Clippers where you have Kawhi missing all of that time before the, pandemic came about when you had Paul George low managing as well and then with the um, Clippers we know what kind of a shit show that was in the locker room so the combination of the two I think adds to what their performance level was on the court okay interesting point Jerem I think that with Doc Rivers we're just gonna have to have this we have to go to this playoff series and Look at how he handles adjustments because I think with most coaches, I think that like with Boonhoser, um, I think Nick Nurse is a good example of this. Whereas in their title title run, you see Nick Nurse making certain adjustments that most coaches wasn't making. Same thing with um, coach in Miami. I can't call his name right now. Um, Spolstra? Spolstra. He makes he was making adjustments during their playoff run as well. I, it's been a couple of years, and maybe my memory is fuzzy, but I don't recall Doc Rivers necessarily doing that. So, like, let's say last year, whenever the Clippers and Nuggets playoff series, he continuously had Montrez Harrell out there. Now, you can make the argument and say, hey, certain situations, players play above themselves, and they show you something that we didn't think they had. But after a certain amount of time, you can look and say, okay, it's just not good for us to have Montrez out there playing up against Jokic when Zubak was actually doing fairly decent. He was just getting into foul trouble, but he was doing considerably better than Montrez. So I think that we're going to really have to take a sit, sit a seat back, watch Doc Rivers' adjustments in the playoffs, and then from there we can really judge and see what direction this team is going through, going to. Because regardless of Simmons shooting, regardless of Joel Embiid's health or whatever, if Doc Rivers isn't making the necessarily necessary adjustments and not holding players accountable, I think that we're going to be having this thing in every year where the Sixers can be a championship team, but there are certain things that have to go their way that they got to have to work on. 
You know, it's a good question. So it really is, will Doc change? Because he did not change. He did not adjust with those Harold minutes. Now, he cut him a little bit, but he kept playing Harold even more minutes than he needed to play based on how badly he was playing. So, yeah, that's a real question. I guess they're going to have to do it by fire and find out. But, you know, listening to what Doc had had said about all those things from, like, some beat writers who would come on the show, um, it, it kind of indicated to me that maybe they really weren't so aware of what, the performance, the poor performance of Mantrez was. And I talked to NBA coaches before, and a lot of times I get the sense they don't really look at the lineup data enough. And that's a scary thing. Now, it could also be a generational thing. I would imagine most of the young coaches are like, you know, sucking up all the data. They want all the analytics they can get. But uh, there is a certain level, uh, maybe like my age or older, who I think don't recognize the value of looking at the lineup data and, and pointing out, geez, we got to stop playing these five together. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. But then I, I don't want to necessarily put on the lineup data. It's for me because I'm I didn't catch every Nuggets Clippers game, but the ones that I did catch, it's kind of like to me, it's kind of obvious where okay, Montrez he's going up against a bigger defender in Jokic, even though Jokic isn't the all world defensive player, he still is taller than Montrez, so it's hard for Montrez to do this things that he usually does, and then you're also giving up points on the end because you can't defend Jokic. Mm-hmm. So, um, the Hornets coach said about LaMelo at the beginning of the year. I mean, he was saying, yeah, he want to start him, but if you're turning the ball over and not playing defense, I can't justify giving you the minutes. Like, that's kind of sort of how I see this, too. So, I want to see how uh, Doc Rivers in- integrates Simmons more into the offense because, like I said, I don't see him averaging 12 points for the season. To me, that's hard to believe. A 6'10 guy athletic it can handle the ball only averages 12 points and while 12 points points isn't the end-all be-all I think Simmons is gonna have to be more of an offensive threat in order for the team to thrive overall because if you're just focusing on Joel even if he's putting up 30 if we know where the ball is going that makes you kind of predictable if that for sure what, what I predicted, by the way, as the adjustment, and we're seeing it now, is because of the issues you see with Simmons finishing at the rim, and, and they're pretty legit. My synergy's ranking is pretty low, uh, and, he, and you can just look it by their eyes. What, what they'll do is they'll consciously not help or get into help position at all on those drives, relying on the guy, the one-on-one guy, to you know, put a hand up, and maybe they'll, he'll probably have a bad miss. And that way they'll stop him from kicking out and getting the Steph Curry open shots. You know, Seth Curry right now per game is only taking 4.23s a game in 27 minutes. Now, he came back from COVID, and that was now it's been lower because of that. He's not less energy or whatever, but I don't know. In my mind, he should be, you know, Curry should be shooting a, a career high in per 36 attempts, and he's not, even when you normalize it for that. Uh, that's a, another really big red flag for me, and I, I don't have the time for this video to figure out exactly why that's happening. But um, I have to picture it's like, okay, a lot of Embiid post-ups where he's not kicking it out uh, and whatnot. But I, if you're not getting Curry, you know, eight, three-point three attempts a game, nine, then something's really off, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. I, I think I think um, Seth Curry should be having – I think I, when they had the trade happen, I thought that Seth Curry would have the type of season that Bertans had last year, where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. he could shoot. But he's really shooting this year. I thought Seth Curry would have that type of effect on the um, Sixers, which it, for, in his defense, he was having a very good season before um, whatever happened with him. But I think going forward, we're going to have to see more of that from him 
because now you're scratching out the defense. They're concerned about you when you don't have the ball in your hand and your backdoor cuts or whatever. It's just going to make it overall easier. And then also with Danny Green, too, because Danny Green, I know the jokes and stuff like that. It's funny to get on him about his run in the playoffs. But if you're having Danny Green attempt six or seven threes and he's hitting two or three of them or whatever the numbers would be, I just think it makes it overall easier on Joel and Ben going forward because now, Ben, you can't double him. If you have Seth Curry and Danny Green both hitting a consistent amount of threes, their threats to score from the outside, you can't double MB and you can't double Simmons if he's going to the rim or sitting in the ducker spot. So I, I just hope going forward that Seth Curry is able to pick it back. Let's let's light Danny Green on fire for a second because uh, there's been two offense. People remind me who it was. Two offensive explosions, I believe, on the Sixers this year so far from guys, and it was like watching Danny Green try and guard. Who who was it? Was it Donovan Mitchell? I can't remember now who it was. Who can remember? Anybody? Um, there, you know, there. I think there was two like forty or fifty point games against them. Right? I'm not crazy, right? And, and I remember watching going. Danny Green is washed, man. He can't even get like around a screen. He can't. He doesn't have any energy to to contest. So I'm worried about that as well. Uh, that he doesn't have that defensive stopper uh, ability like he used to. Um, He's still starting, correct? They could put um, Matisse Thibel. Yeah, love him. Jeez. Love him. Jeez, the goat. Yeah, I think Danny Green's days of guarding quicker guards are over. I think he's going to have to start guarding bigger forwards, kind of like what probably Clay Thompson's going to have to do. He's probably going to have to guard stronger forwards, like the Kawhi Leonard types, and not the speedy point guard types. I've right, been how, so many times now. I'm not even sure what difference it makes at this point. How do we find those games that I'm talking about where the guys just lit them up? You know what, remember? Against the Lakers, shorter. I think like five times, just one v one him. We're talking about Danny Green. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Last night he got burnt by uh, Darren Fox. Like every play. Okay, good. You know what? I might have to add more to this video now because I forgot to talk about that. And I'll have to look through it. It won't be that hard. It's not been any games, but I'm telling you, there there was like a 50 point game on him or something, uh, or something like that, or whatever. But anyway, the point. I think we all get the point. Sorry, Bradley Beal scoring 60. Oh, it was Beal, right? Yeah. Ah, uh, yes, it was Bill that dropped 60 on us. Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown had 40 on him. I remember that. Jalen, too. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Danny Green's defense at this point is very overrated, and I don't know how we even – like, how does he get into a game? And Doc Rivers <laughs> right. is saying, yo, go guard the guy that's scoring a lot. Like, no. I think no. they might try to package him in a trade later on the season towards the deadline, honestly. Well, they better hope he shoots better. He's only shooting thirty six percent. That's not that's not elite. That's average. Nick, what does um, Matisse shoot from? Like twenty five. Matisse shoots exactly twenty five percent. He's not even taking hardly any either, right? Yeah. So uh, I like his form. I would think he would shoot better if he if he got some more opportunities. I agree. Honestly, I don't see the reason why we're starting. To, how old is Danny Green? Like 35, 36, something like that. I think. Yeah. No, it's I'm not. Like 30s. I think he was He's in his thirties. Danny Green is no, wait, wait, wait. Danny Green is thirty three. <laughs> thirty three. He's, he's the end of his prime. He's supposed to be the end of okay. his prime. It feels like thirty six. Yeah, yeah, it does. does. But I don't. I just don't see why. I mean, I kind of understand because Danny Green does bring the shooting aspect to the table. But honestly, I w- if I'm Doc Rivers, I'm starting Matisse and I'm bringing Danny Green in off the bench. That's really interesting. That's interesting. Anybody else agree with that? I, I agree with that. I think 
Good. Yeah, Matisse was... Matisse got lots of fourth quarter minutes. Remember when um, he, they played that 2-3 zone and he was at the top with Ben and they got all yeah. those stops and all those deflections and steals. Mm-hmm. He was sent to the bench because he was struggling defending a lot in the first half of that game. So, yeah, I think Matisse should start. Yeah. I love him. He's got great energy. And really, you know what he does really well, which I like? Uh, I was talking to some NBA guys about what bothers them the most uh, in terms of, like, the closeouts. And because I'm, I'm trying to figure out if we can re-engineer defense because this, like, you know, the stuttered stop, hands up, butt down, that's all bullshit. It's all fake fundamentals. And it doesn't bother, like, good shooters in the NBA. What bothers them is when you start to contest from, like, behind or from the side. And Thibault is really good at that. Well, he'll step around the, the uh, screen and as the guy's, like, pulling up on the drop coverage. He'll, like, get his hand up on the side of the – or, like, behind the head. And when you get aware of that, like, it kind of screws you up for the shot. Uh, he's really good at that. And plus, I think the dude's got, like, a 6'11 wingspan, um, and he can just really reach uh, a lot of distance. Yeah, yeah I don't I think, think – oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say real quick that I think with how well Seth has been playing and then Tobias Joel, I think we have enough offense in the lineup to kind of make up for the fact that Matisse isn't going to shoot a whole lot while he's on the floor. Right, but great. I think having that defensive uh, identity – really helps us but go ahead Ryan. yeah i was gonna say i don't think they should start matisse i think he should be first guy off the bench like an energy guy but i definitely think they should close with him because his defense and his iq is off the charts and he's only in his second year the guy's the guy's gonna be a player i, I gotta say be a good shooter as well. i was gonna say i think shake millen also holds the bench unit very well down like he's i think he's a good six man candidate not of the year but but he's still really good off the bench i think I've got a, a lot of depth. Oh, sorry, I, I got a lineup for you guys because I was looking at lineups and it was not a lot to be made of it besides the fact that the starters are, you know, net rating is plus 14.3. The next most played lineup, though, isn't a lot. So Doc has been playing the starters 279 minutes across 14 games, you know, injuries and whatnot. The second most played lineup only has 56 minutes, but it's got Dwight Howard, Tobias Harris, Cork Maz, Shake Milton, and, and Matisse Thibel. And that one is actually better at plus 18.7. Um, so they found a lineup. Now, obviously, they're probably beating up on some of these, you know, second units uh, pretty well because they, with Harris in there as the one starter. But um, I'm trying to, like, wrap my head around that. You got Milton doing the run in the pick and roll, Harris spotting up, Korkmaz spotting up, uh, Howard doing his defensive anchoring and, you know, offensive rebound and whatnot. And then you have Thibault, who's doing the defense. Uh, that's an interesting lineup. And then, by the way, their defensive rating is, like, 86.2, which is, like, insanely low. I think, I think they might have um... – Part of that might be just how a little bit more of a, a traditional lineup that is. I mean, Shake Milton is kind of big for a guard, but either way, like, it's definitely a more traditional um, setup mm-hmm. with those guys. And um, I think that plays a role with how well they're able to play. But like you said, also bullying the bench and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm going to look up. I want to look up what Thibel, uh, what the roster looks or the five man lineup looks like when Thibel replaces Green. Let's type that in there and see. Um... Yeah, I, I saw Thibel in for Danny Green uh, against the Kings yesterday. He was yeah, last night. He, uh, Danny Green couldn't guard Darren Fox, so they put in Matisse. Yeah, to, um... in the fourth quarter, they put Matisse in. So yeah, to they... guard Darren Fox. He shut him down. Yeah, he got like, he got a few blocks on him. He did defensive stops as well. Mm. Well, here, looking it up on NBA Wowie, um, let's see here. Where is the team uh, shooting? So let's see. Um, the team is 
Uh, their points per possession is, is uh, wow. The, their offensive rating is 155 with we put uh, thigh ball with the starters. And the opponent's uh, offensive rating is 110. So that's a plus 45. Now, again, it's wow. almost no time. It's like nine minutes. So that's nothing. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I, we really got to see that lineup a lot more. Yeah, I think I think Matisse, honestly, is the one. And he's one of those kids, too, that it seems like he really wants to improve, really wants to get better. I can see him becoming a – like, develop really into a 3 and D guy legitimately. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's funny because I'm trying to, you know, rebrand Simmons. If we have 3 and D guys, he was a <laughs> – I guess this doesn't go well over on Twitter if you call him a DNA <laughs> or maybe it's A and D, assists and defense. That's what he does. It's a weird thing, right? It's not even like a, a term. Um, but that's what Simmons does, I guess. Um and, and they just, yeah, it's a real conundrum they have to figure out. But here's the thing. Doc did figure it out, ironically enough, or uh, coincidentally enough, with Rondo, right, in, in a little bit of a different position. But Rondo had equally, issue, uh, you know, troubled issues. And we all might remember, I think Kobe would just sag off of him to no end in the finals and really, you know, try and cause problems. Yeah, that's definitely um, something that is interesting. But like I said earlier, all of that is solved by getting – a scoring guard. If we get a scoring guard, Ben Simmons doesn't have to be in that role, and it makes him a better player automatically. Do Do y'all think that? Cause, and I don't know what the package would be, but we, we're hearing a lot of uh, Kyle Lowry rumors, and a lot of teams are fishing around to see what his value is. Depending on what you would have to give up, long as it's not crazy, and the home take all the hometown stuff out. Do y'all think that? A fit with Kyle Lowry in the Sixers would take the team to another level, or do you think it'd be more of a lateral? Now, my question, John, mm. would be: Is are we trading? Are we keep, not even? Are we trading? Are we keeping Tobias, Ben, Angel, Well, and getting Kyle Lowry? I don't even think that's possible with the amount of money like, Kyle's yeah, making. Yeah, trade um, like Mike Scott and like I know it's a couple. Yeah, of Danny guys. Green, Mike Scott, and Cap Fillers, honestly. Oh, and we can do that and get and get Kyle yeah, to go could. along with these guys. We could, yeah. Oh, that would be huh. amazing, bro. I would I would cry tears of joy. I'm gonna be so honest with you. If, if, if the Sixers can get Kyle Lowry, I think they can make it further in the playoffs. Then maybe third round, but not. I think right now they're fit for the second round, but not third round right now. I think we can win the championship, honestly. But the- but the problem is the Raptors are now in eighth spot, yeah. eighth place, having won six of the last ten. So they, they might have righted their ship a little bit. I think more of Zach Levine, honestly, if that's even possible. Yeah, because, for- yeah, the Raptors aren't going to blow up their team and, you know, tank uh, to do that deal. But that the Bulls are interesting. I, I Who knows? They have a new management, so we don't know what their deal is, do we? Well, Coach, let me ask you this. Do you really think that losing Kyle Lowry for the Raptors would cause them to tank? Well, I think if you if you yeah, I mean, listen, he's doing his thing. I just checked his numbers. So that's like I thought they were a little bit lower, but they're kind of like in in you know in line with uh, what he did. Now, who would they get back again? Because it sounded like you know who would the players relisting from the Sixers? I think they said Danny Green, Danny Green, like in Cat Village, like Mike Scott, Scott. Tony Bradley, uh, okay. and then maybe a draft pick or something, and then draft pick uh, like two first and and put pick, yeah. pick swaps on them. I mean, so you're going to take out like this, a starter, right? A guy who's, you know, is their leader and you're going to replace him with Danny Green and Mike Scott. Like, you know, I, I don't see how that, you know what I mean? That just seems like they're going to kind of look to get a higher draft pick at that point. Yeah, they'd want a lot of picks, I think. 
If, but coach, this is this is why I asked is because JJ, they have what's this? Wait, you said what? Worry about JJ joining the team in Brooklyn and Boston as well. But I think Boston will get him though. Who Reddick? Their bench is like really bad. Well, so are their big men. Their big men are really bad too. I don't. I don't like Tristan Thompson. I I hate watching him play. I think the more trade is a Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal swap. I think. Ooh. No, I don't think that's gonna happen. The only liable. The only liable trade out there on the market that was there for Ben Simmons that I would have respected as a Ben Simmons slash Sixers fan was the Harden trade. Yeah. Well, by the way, yeah. Go ahead. Because the issue here is with trading Ben Simmons for one of these scoring guards, the thing that these scoring guards lack is playmaking, right? So a Bradley Bill, a, a Zach Levine, those guys aren't natural playmakers like how Ben is. However, also who would guard Kate James Harden in, is in a, in a playoff series if that were to happen? You know, like I don't, I think Simmons is super valuable to the team. Honestly, yes, yeah, yeah, he can, you can, you can just put him on the best player, Matisse. Yeah. It's really hard to figure that one out, right? Because you're right. Simmons is so valuable in that role because uh, you got to guard KD. you got to guard uh, t- uh, Tatum. you got to guard uh, all those guys. LeBron, if you get that far. Uh, and, and yeah, you, I don't know if you want to give that guy up. But, man, it's like then you had the other issue on the other side. But I guess that with that argument framed that way, it, then Simmons isn't untouchable, right? He is the guy they need to have because he does help them in the transition. He does help them a little bit offensively in other ends, in other, other places. Well, I think the Sixers need to run more of a uh, Seth and Joel pick and roll. Like, remember when JJ was in Philly, to run pick and rolls a lot. And if Seth doesn't get a shot, he can pass it to Joel, the roll man. He'll get butt buckets. But since Joel gets like a lots of attention from, maybe he'll cause two defenders to go to him and Seth to get wide open jumpers. Or yeah, I, I like that. I mean, I, I certainly like that a lot better than any kind of JJ Redick and bead pink and rolls they might have run in the past. Because anytime JJ put the ball on the ground more than once, it was a nightmare. So uh, and and Seth can handle the rock. Uh, I, I agree. I, I it sounds like, and I don't want to give maybe it's giving Doc a pass. It just sounds like they, the season got started. Everything was chaotic. They never really had a chance to install their offense. Uh, that that certainly looks to be the case. I, I really was having trouble seeing a lot of like sort of pattern things they were running. Um, so the only question now is, does do they in the midst of this season as it is now slowly be able to find enough practice time, uh, meaningful practice time to actually implement more of an offensive sets that that Doc would normally run? I don't know. I mean, I would honestly and be in the high post more. I think that would be really viable. They love running. By the way, they love running Tobias Harris. Uh, and horns on the on the elbow, and then screen for him, a ball screen for him there. So if you're wondering why all these shoots are these you know mid range shots, it's because they're setting the screens for him at the elbow. I would like to see even Tobias get the ball out higher on the wing, set an inside ball screen. He might be able to pull up for threes and stretch the floor a little bit better. And I, they don't, he never gets going downhill off of those. I think the main question about the roster is they the Sixers have a championship defense. They put enough pressure on the room to a championship. Do they have enough perimeter scoring to win a championship? Do you trust Seth Curry, Tobias Harris? Hmm. In a yeah, we need, I think we need that's, Seth to, to, to shoot more threes. Yeah. And that's why I said earlier they need to trade for a scoring guard. Yeah, they, I, yeah, that's what I would do. Before he had COVID, he was averaging 17 a game. And then and then once he came back, he's kind of rusty. like He hasn't played in a while. Then, yeah, last night he scored 22 points, so 
I think he's finding his ways now. Yeah, good, good. And I, I th- that's what I've heard that he was like winded and all that stuff. Which he might that might you know plague him the rest of the season, knowing what you know who, who knows how long COVID's going to last with him. So uh, that's another concern. But um, I would hope that yes, that yeah. What was his line? Uh, he he took six threes in twenty nine minutes. But it, even that's probably too low, right? Curry needs to take. You know, he needs to get eight shots, you know, eight threes a game in those 30 minutes, 29 minutes. And uh, so we'll see. But at least he hit four of them. And then the game before he was scorching. But I, I listen, he's a good shooter. We know what he's going to do. Um, but I, I think the defense is a good question. Is it the, the perimeter yeah. defense? You know, Tobias Harris is good, right? He's yeah. fine. You know, so I wonder. Can he pull like a Jeremy Grant surprise on us and like all of a sudden the playoffs like start being a guy that's going to guard their best perimeter player? But Jeremy Grant, I don't think wasn't uh, well to me because I saw Jeremy Grant when he was a Sixer. Like I saw the early part of his career. To me, Jeremy Grant being a great defender was never a question for me. Mm-hmm. To me, his offense yeah. was really the question. But Jeremy Grant could—that's how he got minutes: was being a good defender, interior and perimeter, and being able to rebound at a solid level for a small forward. You know, I would feel remiss as we're getting into the end of the show that if I didn't like to talk a little bit about what's going on in the comments. So, um, first of all, Andrew Lee with a great line about who's the telemarketing job with a ring in the background. Love it. Uh, let's ask Rob Fritz asks, if you're the Bulls, would you rather have Maxi and picks for Levine or Hero and picks? Mm. Hero and picks. I like Maxi though, but, but Miami's not giving up Hero. Yeah. Yeah. More realistically, it'd be the Sixers package, but I think Hero's the better player currently. Definitely. Yeah, I don't know. I, Levine could help a team, a really good team, right? Like he could come in there like as a as a microwave off the bench. Uh, well, how much? Help. I feel like the much... Sixers, I feel like the Sixers are missing like someone like Levine that can create off the dribble and get uh, like thirty a night, like that that type of guy. They don't have that guy that can be maybe exactly. best at it, but we need He's that not. guy so much. <laughs> Similar to how Levine plays. If they bring Levine in, uh, independent of like maybe who they have to trade for, then who goes out of the starting lineup? Danny Green. Um, yeah, Danny. And then start Danny Seth with Green Zach. be in the trade. Green would probably be in the trade, or, or or Seth, or both would be in the trade, right? <laughs> I would. I wouldn't trade Seth to be honest. I think. Oh, I, yeah. I think I think they could get away with trading Tobias and people that aren't. Seth Green or uh, Danny or Seth Curry. And I Danny would trade Green. Danny Green and maybe some bench players, but I wouldn't trade Seth. Right, but th- but there's no value to, to Danny Green. That's the problem. So they're they're not going to get Levine for that. Yeah. They have to, people, you know, people believe there is. I think get some someone like Levine. They have, they're going to have to trade Tobias. Yeah, they got to trade. Yeah, Levine. right, right. So That's Bob, interesting. Kind of hard though because Tobias' contract is so much more than Levine's. So I think Levine makes what. In the low twenties, if I'm not mistaken, and then Tobias yeah. in the mid. Nice guy. Is that right? Last wow. offseason, he signed, I think, a max contract. Yeah, uh, yeah let's see. Well, yeah, so you're right. Zach Levine is actually a, a pretty good, you know, value. Nineteen and a half this year, and then nineteen and a half next year. Wow, <clears throat> I'm shocked. And then Tobias has a thirty million. What, what's his? I have to check that. He's like thirty four, thirty five. Yeah, he's on a max. I am shocked because. Well, yeah, Wait, does that like extend his contract off his rookie? No, deal? but he's about to be a free agent after the Bulls. No, yeah, I know that, but I'm saying, how do we go from his rookie deal to now he's making twenty million? What contract did he sign? He, it was like a four year seventy million because he got an offer from the Sac- Sacramento Kings, and then the Bulls matched it. it was right, like, restricted. Oh, the restricted. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. By the way, no, Tobias is going to get to forty 
Forty point forty one by twenty twenty three twenty four. That's amazing. Good for him. Wow. He's got a really good agent. I'll tell you that. <laughs> wow. I mean, I feel- in what world would Tobias Harris? I listen. I love Tobias. Tobias Harris. He's great. He's perfect. But in what world does the, the, the third best player on a good team make forty one million dollars a year? That's amazing. Well, well you use the technically second, second best. Think about. It. Yeah, we don't. It seems like, in my opinion, when we talk about basketball, it seems like we confuse a lot of times second best player with second option, right? Mm-hmm. And because Tobias, when Jimmy Butler made it clear he wasn't coming back, was the only guy that they felt like could be a second option on the yeah. roster that they could sign, they signed him for second option money. It's yeah, right. In that case, he's it's very similar yeah. to Chris Middleton. Right, exactly. Good call. Yeah, Tobias is the second option to go offensively. On the starting five, right? Yeah, that's true. But although I would agree, I would uh, argue that a, a truly good team would not have Tobias as a second option on the offense. He'd have to be a third. Yeah, one thousand percent. That's the main problem. <laughs> right, right, and that, and that's not Tobias's fault, <laughs> but um, right. you know he's doing what he can do, which is fine. Uh, but yeah, it's an interesting conundrum. So, well, listen, guys, that this is the show. We go for an hour every Wednesday. And I want you to I want to thank every one of you guys for being here because this is definitely the all-time high for people in here, on stage, listening. Uh, I can't thank you enough. This was awesome. Yeah, Nick, this was fire. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Uh, really. Well, I'm going to post this on my, on my podcast feed, which used to get a lot of listens. I'm gonna, we'll see what happens. I haven't really posted much there. But uh, now that I can get my microphone working, it's sounding good, and you guys sound great. Uh, I'm going to post these now, and, and more people here to laugh at the fact uh, you know, later this afternoon. So, Listen, awesome stuff. Please promise. Would you come back again on Sunday at 9 a.m. Pacific and then next Wednesday at the same time? Yes. Hell yeah. yeah. All right. Well, then let's, I'm going to do my sign off then. Let's all do it. You know, in fact, you can all answer the question when I say, uh, don't forget sports fans at Beatball Breakdown. We're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah.